Good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege for me to have this opportunity to share with you uh, on this, uh, I guess officially we'd say this is the first Sunday of summer, right? Because we passed that famous day when now the days are starting to get shorter. I'm sorry and discourage you. And I won't mention it again, okay. Uh, before I begin, I just want to mention um, you know, the, the Emmers were here. Well, Allison's here again today with the kids. Good to see you, Allison. And uh, Allison had a special day yesterday uh, with her organization, and there were some people here from this church who helped out cleaning up Stonewall. It was great. Karen and I were away, so we weren't able to be here yesterday for this. But Paul and Allison want to... Thank all of you who came out yesterday for the cleanup. They had a combined total of 60 hours contributed, and they were able to clean up some very key areas of Stonewall. But there is one area that they were not able to get to, which is the sports complex and surrounding fields. Graduation is coming this week, as we saw. Uh, this coming Tuesday, and they would love to have the group come, have a group come this afternoon to just go and help clean it up. And uh, if you are available this afternoon, starting at 3 p.m. at the sports complex, and have it all cleaned up likely within the hour, depending on how many hands they have there, of course. Now, each hour of time donated uh, equals three hours worth of a donation to the ministry as they have a matching dollar campaign with every dollar being tripled up to $30,000. So if you are able to help this afternoon starting at three o'clock at the sports complex just down at the far end, the south end of Main Street, uh, if you'd please go there for three o'clock, correct? Great. All right, and they do thank you for your participation uh, yesterday. Today is indeed a special day here at the church. Uh, it's kind of our uh, celebration Sunday, and I'll tell you, it's going to be a celebration. We've already started with the wonderful opportunity to be able to sing uh, songs of praise to God for his good faithfulness. Wow, that's... Uh, I guess we'd start saying that's an old song that we just sang at the end. But what a wonderful way for us just to be able to come before him to hear God's word is just to praise God for who he is. But it's a special day because we are having two people and you're going to hear from them right after I finish speaking. So I know you'll want to get me out of the way fairly quickly here. And after we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, We've got two people who are making a public declaration of their faith, and then they will be baptized right outside after the service. It's, uh, it's also a Sunday when we're together and we're celebrating, and we're going to have a special lunch together. So if you are new here and you've just come for the day, I trust that you will be able to stay on because we'd like to, in a very tangible way, just say how much we appreciate you being here 
by just having some time together over a meal together. The Bethel ministry has, is actually putting on, has the meal ready for us. And of course, it would be great if we can contribute to that to help it in the ministry of Bethel as well. But that's right after the service. There'll be an opportunity just to be able to sit around and have a great time like a church picnic. So this is a very special day and we look forward to the opportunity to do it. It's another special day because we are actually starting a new series. And we're, it's a series uh, in, through our messages that we're doing on a Sunday morning. And uh, we're actually going to take, it's a brief look, but that's just the way it is when you're doing, uh, when you're preaching through the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms. And uh, it's gonna be a special time. And today I'm gonna start it off and so we will begin that in just a minute. But I do want to make a reference to the fact that Jana has prepared for us a reading guide for this coming summer. And you will find that every day listed starting tomorrow, you have some psalms suggested to read. And by the time we're finished going through the series, and if you follow this guide, you will have read through the 150 psalms that are there. So you can pick up just outside in the foyer there at the two tables that are just as you go out. There's a copy of the reading guide. If you haven't already picked it up, please do. Secondly, uh, Angela also has prepared for the children. If you haven't picked up a copy of this, you can do it back there at the table as well. And uh, if you haven't picked up, this is for the children to be able to use during the time that they're sitting here through the sermons as well. And I know there'll be some adults that will likely do this too because there's an opportunity to color and a few things like that. But anyway, if you would like to have a copy of that, even now, if you want to just have it for your children, you can slip out, the preacher won't mind, and uh, pick up a copy as well. We look forward to an opportunity to be able to go through and study the book of Psalms. I just want to say a few things about this whole thing called the book of Psalms, or it's also referred to as the Psalter. Now, it sounds like a salt shaker, but it's not, it's, they call it the Psalter instead of calling it the book of Psalms. But just a few comments that I want to make about the book of Psalms before we launch into it. You know, the book of Psalms, or the Psalter, is very unique in the Bible. And I want to explain a couple of reasons for why it's unique. It's unique in the way that it is composed. You know, most books of the Bible were written by human authors, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, by the way, and uh, they were written out. And then later, others came along in order to help us to be able to read it better, and they added chapter divisions. They added verses. You know, when the Bible was written originally, there weren't those chapter divisions, and there weren't those verses, basically, divisions. And so it would be difficult for Rusty to get up on a Sunday morning and say, now I want you to find this book and it'll take you half the sermon to get through to find out exactly where he's at as you're, as you're diving into the book to find out what it is. So somebody came up with this brilliant idea. Why don't we have chapters? 
And why don't we have verses? That's a great idea. But you know what? Not necessary with the Psalms. Oh, well, we do have the verses there because the Psalms is actually a collection of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a collection of poems. Psalms, we call them Psalms. And they were composed by different authors over a period of, could be a thousand years. Somebody, at some point, under God's direction, put all of those psalms together in a book. He edited them, and he put them together. Now, he didn't put them together chronologically, but he did put them together with some real thinking in mind. And actually, if you look in your Bibles, and it's, I think, almost all English Bibles... Uh, will have in the book of Psalms, you actually have five books. It says book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. If you, haven't, if you haven't noticed that before, you can check on that when you're at home. There's actually five different books. And it seems like the person who compiled the whole book of Psalms had a purpose for why he put the Psalms where they are. So, it's unique in the way it's been composed, compiled together. But secondly, it's unique in its content. You see, for many Christians, the Psalms are the most favorite part of the Bible. This is especially for, true for those of maybe you who have a bent for the arts or for especially poetry. The Psalms are basically prayers or songs of praise. You see, in the Bible, some parts of the Bible are, um, some parts of the Bible are, are they, they actually uh, form direct words to us. It's God's word speaking to us. So you go through some of the prophets, for example, it's God speaking directly to us. There are other parts of the Bible where uh, the author will write, like, for example, the letters of Paul, where he actually writes about God, about our relationship with God, what God expects of us, etc. And then there are parts of the Bible where it's really the writer expressing himself to God. So in that way, it becomes very personal. And in that way, you find actually a lot of emotions come through in the book of Psalms. You have sometimes somebody who's frustrated, and the psalmist writes about his frustration before God. And there are other times when he just wants to praise God. And so the Psalms are precious for that, but they are unique. Someone has put it this way, is that there are parts of the Bible that address our minds, our intellect, our thinking, gives us truth that we can put into practice. But the Psalms addresses our minds through our emotions, through our emotions. And so it's important when you go through the book of Psalms that you actually get into and understand the emotion of the psalmist as he's writing, because it becomes, therefore, much more 
uh, pertinent to us. But the Psalms is also unique in their use. Since the Psalms are mostly prayers, they have actually become the prayer book of God's people. For example, in the Old Testament, or the Jews, particularly later on in the Old Testament, they began using Psalms as a public expression of prayer to God, so they would actually have people express them in prayer, and people would join together and listen and join in on the prayer as it was given, and they were Psalms. In fact, some of the Jews, what happened was they actually put it to music, and they would have actually profess, professional singers, or sometimes the whole congregation would sing, and they would sing prayers to God. They would sing praise to God. That's what the Psalms was for the Jews. And you know what? When the church started, the early church, they picked up on that as well. And so the Psalms have become the prayer book for God's people, even in the church. And it's also become the hymn book. Do you know up until recently, the Psalms, and when I say recently, I mean we've covered 2,000 years of church history, the Psalms was actually the main prayer book of God's people, the church, for decades and centuries. And even today, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to uh, be with our youth. And uh, they, um, James had split them up into different groups where they were doing different kinds of ways, just spending an evening in different ways, worshiping and praising God. It was just a, a time of expressing. And I had the privilege of actually being involved in the group where we would just read a passage and the rest would listen so I read a passage, and then a couple of them said, you know what, I've actually got that to music. And we would stop and listen to it in music. So even today, some of the Christian composers that are writing are still using the Psalms. It's a precious uh, group of Psalms, a prayer, and praise to God. So this is a very unique book we have, and over the summer, I trust that you will be able to dive in and fully appreciate them, reading them and meditating on them. This morning, we're going to start with the very first one. I want to spend a few minutes in Psalm 1. So we're going to start with Psalm 1. Now, there is a reason for starting with Psalm 1, not only because it's the first one in the Psalms, but it is kind of an introduction to the whole collection of Psalms. Psalm 1. So what we're going to do, we're going to read it. I will read it through and you can follow on the screen. Some, to some of you, it's familiar. Don't go to sleep because it's important. This is an important psalm. If you never heard it before, it's precious. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. 
That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That's the psalm. The psalm starts off with a well-known word. Let's go to verse 1. The word that it starts with is the word blessed. Blessed. Now, you've likely heard that word a lot. I must admit that right now when I write an email, you're likely going to notice at the end before I sign my name, I'm going to put blessings or blessed. I just really like that word. But you know what? It's a difficult word to translate into our English language. And if you look up a lot of these scholars who have, you know, studied the Hebrew and so forth, they basically say that kind of a key word for the whole thing is happy. Now, I don't know about you, but this word happy is used so much in our language that I find it difficult to actually translate blessed with the word happy. In fact, this week there is an ad for Dairy Queen. And do you know what it is? Happy tastes good. And you can imagine what's happening at the same time. This guy is licking an ice cream cone. And I'm thinking, you know, that's the problem with this word happy. It just seems to be so superficial. It seems to be so temporal that it's, it, you know, it just doesn't seem to grab me if we actually translate the word blessed with just the word happy. Because if you actually do a study of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you find that the word blessed there is a very deep, meaningful word. So what does it mean? Well, Jesus used it in Matthew chapter 5. Nine times he says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. It's much deeper than our idea of happiness. Some suggest it means fortunate, prosperous. We're a little scared of that one because that will sometimes lead people to think that it only means that God's going to give us lots of money, so we're going to feel really happy. Or rewarded. In fact, one of my Hebrew professors, he translates it rewarded. Because he says he thinks that's really what it is. It's somebody who's blessed is rewarded by God. And actually, this phrase, blessed is the one, it really is, in the original language, it's really a superlative. So what it really says is, how blessed. It really wants to emphasize how blessed you really are. Someone who is fortunate, someone who has a, a very specific uh, reward from God. That's really what the word blessed means. So it's much more than just this 
flirting idea or flimsy idea of being happy. Well, let's go on to see what he says. He says, blessed is the one, and notice what happens. He immediately goes and starts with a negative. Don't worry, he's coming to a positive. But he starts off with a negative, and notice what he says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of seekers. Now, if you notice there, he refers to three different groups of people. He talks about the wicked, and that word, by the way, means ungodly. It's somebody who doesn't want to be bound by a higher power who tells them what to do. They want to break out of that. They want to be free. It's ungodly, but actually it means anything goes. That's why it's called wicked. Then he goes on to refer to sinners. Sinners, by the way, those are, the word sin means to miss a mark, okay? You're doing bow and arrows, and you're, you're shooting your, your arrow at a bow, and you miss the mark. That's the, that's the sign for sin. That's one of the definitions of sin. And this word sinners means people who continually miss the mark, continually miss the mark. And then finally, he mentions another group of people, and these, of course, much easier to define. They're mockers. They're scoffers. They're the ones who scoff at the idea that there would be a God who somehow is in charge. They scoff. They mock at that idea. But notice what he says. Blessed is the one does not walk in step with the wicked, does not stand in the way that sinners take, and he does not sit in the company of mockers. There's three different uh, things that he refers to there, three different behavior. And some people have said that this is kind of a descending uh, uh, moral behavior, almost like you're going down the steps. You start off, first of all, walking along with the wicked, keeping in step with them. Then you stand in the way of the sinners. And then you sit in the company of mockers. So it seems like he's expressing how things develop. They degenerate. You get further and further into the opposite. So, is the psalmist saying, have nothing to do with these people? I don't think that's what he's saying, because if that's the case, then Jesus, in what he taught and how he lived, did just the opposite. Jesus was not someone who would stay away from anybody who had sinned in their lives. In fact, it was the very opposite, wasn't it? Jesus was actually accused of being too involved in people's lives. He was there with them. He was known as someone who would sit down and have meals with those who were regarded as sinners, people to stay away from. I don't think that's what Jesus, that's what the psalmist is emphasizing here. But rather he's saying it's someone who continually and more and more being influenced by these people. Because then he goes on 
And let's go on to the second verse. Because he says the contrast. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night. This is what he says is the bottom line to blessing in our lives. Notice what he says here. He doesn't say someone who reads the law of the Lord. He assumes that there's going to be a reading of the law of the Lord, but he goes further, and what's he say? It's people who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it on a regular basis. So, what he is talking about is influence. Now, there are some people who look at the law of the Lord there and say, well, that must be referring to the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. Yes, at the beginning, it, uh, it did refer to that because that was the foundation that God gave was the Mosaic law, starting with the Ten Commandments. But actually, the law of the Lord, as you go through the Scriptures and you begin to see more and more of the Scriptures, it's actually referring to all that God gave to us as his word, which, of course, is the Bible that we have today. So he puts an emphasis here on delighting in and meditating on. I was thinking of delighting. How do you develop your delight of the Bible? I think it means you need to spend time in the Bible. I'd like you to think of the word delighting like we often do. I meet some of you down at the ice cream place here when I go down there as well. And after a nice hot day when you've been out working in the garden or those of you that are farmers have been out doing, to go down there to the ice cream shop and just to have a nice ice cream. What a delight. That's what he's trying to emphasize here. This is what God's word becomes to us, a delight. But how does it become a delight? Well, I think that's where the second word comes in, and that's the word meditating, meditation. Now, here's the unfortunate thing. Meditation has actually been discouraged in some quarters of the church because meditation is often associated with the Eastern religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, and the modern New Age movement. Actually, it's what you meditate on that becomes the issue. It's not the principle of meditation. The old words that the English used was the word to muse, some of you. Remember that, those old words? I think that's what the King James uses, to muse on something, to ponder on something. Actually, in the original, it actually means to growl, to moan. And I think what it is, is it's somebody who talks to himself. He's moaning, he's groaning, he's talking to himself. And that's the implication of meditation. It's mulling it over in my mind, and there are some times, especially when I'm alone and hopefully nobody else is around, when I talk to myself about it. It's that kind. It reminds me a little bit of cows. 
I grew up on the farm, and some of you are farmers, and most of you have been exposed to the farm. Cows are interesting creatures. When I was a kid, I would go out in the pasture sometimes and just watch the cows. And they would chew the cud. Chew the cud. Most of you are familiar with chewing the cud. What's going on? Cows have four stomachs. By the way, you can go online and find out this easily if you don't know this already. But they've got four stomachs, okay? So when they first eat, it goes down into one stomach. And then usually after they fill that, they sit down and contentedly laying there, they chew their cud. And what they're doing? They're regurgitating. I won't get into the details, but they're regurgitating. And what are they doing? They're mixing it with saliva, and it's breaking it down more so that they get the nutrition, all that's in there. What a perfect picture of meditating on God's Word. It's just chewing it over in our minds. So, here's what the Lord says. You're blessed. If you're someone who takes the time to mull over, to review in your mind, to think about meditate on God's Word. And then it becomes a delight for you because it, it, it reveals truth to you that is so positive for us in our situation. And that's what he says. He's saying, there's true happiness. There's true fulfillment. That's what we should be giving our attention to. Then he goes on in the next verse. So let's look at the next verse. And there in the next verse, he says, it's like a, like, a, like a tree. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prosper. I don't think I need to elaborate too much on this. We can all imagine this. Here's this lovely tree, just a tall, healthy tree right beside a river, not, not a stream that dries up, but a river that just keeps flowing. And it has all the water it needs on a continual basis. And what does it produce? Leaves and fruit. Because the leaves are very important on a tree. Not only do the leaves help the tree, the leaves actually help us. We all have heard that, especially in our environmental concerns. The trees are actually really important in the issues that we're dealing with in this day and age. And it's interesting that the psalmist talks about the leaves and he talks about the fruit. And he's basically saying, those of us who would, would fit ourselves as being righteous, we are people who are God followers. We see ourselves, we need to see ourselves as a tree. We're well placed by the water, the word of God, and we're allowing it to feed us continually so that we produce what is needed, what God wants for our lives, not only for ourselves, but for others. And we move on. Well, he moves on in the next verse 
to talk about the contrary. And this is what he says. Not so the wicked. By the way, that's the word. That's the first term that he used of the three earlier in chapter 1. Not so the wicked. Now, here's what I thought he would do. He says, okay, I'm going to do a contrast. So, here's another picture. It's a dry tree on a parched ground. There's no water around. It has no leaves. It has no fruit. It just is sitting there dead. But that's not the picture he uses. He uses a different picture. Did you notice what he says? They are like chaff that the wind blows away. The contrast is even stronger because here he's making a reference, and of course, back in those days, people would know it very well because they were all tied into agriculture, and it all had to do with the harvest time when they would bring in the crop. And as they brought in the crop with the sheaves, there, of course, would be the straw, there would be the heads, and everything would be brought in. They would take it up on a thrashing floor, which was usually an elevated place. Sometimes it was constructed to be elevated, and sometimes it was just naturally there. And they would use it, and they would bring it up, and the first thing they would do is they would, they would hit it with a, with a tool of a number of different tools that they could use, and what they were doing was hitting it in such a way that they would be separating the grain from the straw. And then after they were done, they would take a fork. I imagine it was a, a wooden fork, an old-fashioned wooden fork. And then they would flip it up in the air and let the wind do its work. And the wind would blow the chaff. The first, ones, the first element to go would be the chaff. And it would blow it away. And all they needed was the wind for it to happen. That's the picture he uses concerning the wicked. All there would be is this light stuff floating around. Even though they may, in the way that they act, they thought they were important. They could mock at the idea of God. But in reality, their lives are totally in a wrong direction. And as a result, there's nothing to it. Their lives don't count for anything. Then he goes in verse 5 immediately, and here's what he says in verse 5. Therefore, and he makes this statement very strong, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now, I think what he's meaning there, it's not that the wicked will be absent from the, ju- the, the judgment. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they won't have a leg to stand on. That's kind of the expression we use. Their expression would be they don't stand in the judgment. They don't have an adequate defense at the time of judgment before this God that they deny. That's what's going to happen. They have no defense. And then he goes on to say, nor sinners, and that's the second word he used in verse 1 again, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Not only will they have no leg to stand on when they stand before the judgment day, but he says they won't have the opportunity 
to be with the righteous, to be in the company of the righteous, God, where God's going to bring blessing on his righteous ones. The psalmist then closes with this reality. Verse 6. Have we got verse 6? Flip there. Great. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So there he contrasts two phrases, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And he says, the way of the righteous, God watches over. Now, I like this phrase because this is, he, he's not saying, God knows. God knows what you're going through. Yeah, well, he, you know, he's got it somewhere in his books. No, that's not what it says there. It's not that God knows, just kind of intellectually. He's actually watching. He's very careful. He cares. So I want to say to you today, if you are someone who names the name of Jesus and Lord and Savior, but you've been going through some struggles and you wonder, does God care? This is a verse that you can stand on. Yes, he cares. He does care. There may be difficulties you're going through right now, but he cares and he protects the righteous one in their walk with him. But then unfortunately he says for the others, the way of the wicked, what an unfortunate end for them. It leads to destruction. It's a sad commentary on a life that is lived while denying the God who created them. Denying, wanting any involvement with the, with the God who created them. Now this Psalm 1 is a very fitting beginning psalm for the whole psalm, for all the psalms. He kind of lays it out. And he's saying, listen, what I want you to do is as you now enter in and read this book of psalms, I want you to develop a delight for the law of God. I want you to meditate on the law of God because it will be like a water source for you on a continual basis and it will produce in your life fruit that will be beneficial for you and for others as well. I think it's important not just for us in reading through as an introduction for the book of Psalms, but this is just an important principle for us. And today, I just want to say, I don't know where you are personally, but if you've got yourself into a situation or maybe you've never, ever taken a step towards God at all, I invite you to come here. Because I am proclaiming what the psalmist says here. That those who focus their delight on God and what he's communicated to us are ones who will thrive in their lives. And if people refuse, don't acknowledge him, walk away from him, say, I don't want anything to do with you. They may be seemingly enjoying life for a moment. 
But the scriptures are clear here. That's not the ending. So I encourage you. You look in your own life. I'm so thankful that what Christ has done for us on the cross has made it possible for us to be his children. And because we are his children, we are declared righteous. And we do not continue to live just by our own righteous deeds. We live because the Spirit of God, who has been given to us, empowers us to live out and produce fruit in our lives as we remain committed to him and to his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ made it possible for us to be called righteous. We're not righteous because of our own deeds. Our good deeds are just not good enough. But we are declared righteous because we have acknowledged our sin, our waywardness, and we've come to him in repentance and faith. And this has put us on the path of righteousness that we need to continue to walk. His greatest provision for us are his promises and his presence with us through the Spirit so that we can walk in obedience to him today. That's the reality of Psalm 1 in our lives today. I challenge you that if you've not come to the point of placing your lives acknowledging your waywardness, coming and placing your lives to the master, before the master, that you do it today and allow God to come in and empower you as you focus on the word to produce the fruit that he intends for your life. Let's just pray together, shall we? Dear Father, I want to thank you so much for this psalm. Thank you for the vividness of it and and uh, Lord, it, it, it indicates so much just how precious it really is for us to have this relationship with you. This is not something we can muster up ourselves. This is because of what you have done in our lives. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you've made it possible that we can be, first of all, declared righteous, even though we know that there are things in our lives that do not fit that image. Oh God, help us to grow in righteousness. But as we focus on you and your word, and as we chew on it with great delight, that you would produce fruit in our lives for your glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.